Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Dana Diaz. She's a wife, mother, and author of the best-selling book, Gasping for Air. Dana has had lifelong experience with narcissistic abuse beginning in childhood. Her education in journalism and psychology gave her the ability to accurately verbalize and express how narcissistic abuse creates confusion and conflict within victims so that she can help others know they're not alone and better understand their own circumstances. Hello, Dana, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello, and thank you for having me. Well, I'm 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 excited because every time we delve into subjects that I believe are important, that are big elephant in the rooms, and also um, that, you know, take us to discovering your own journey into getting to what you do and writing the book you wrote and helping others in such an important, you know, aspect of life. I, you know, it excites me. Well, good. <laughs> good it excites good. me too. It is fascinating. And I think it's good when people want to be aware of why they are the way they are and and who they are and and rediscover themselves that's the most important thing i love it so let let us delve a little bit with your background and and i know that your journey and into what you lived and what you share in the book really starts at a very young age so in this episode more than ever this is important so tell us a little bit but also i'm very passionate about learning what who you were like uh and how you were like as a young young girl Yes, absolutely. Well, the book covers the 25-year span of my relationship with my former husband, but definitely my childhood played into that because my mother married a narcissist. I just didn't know what a narcissist was back then. I was a little girl, so I was just trying to live my life and sing in the mirror and dance and sing, and I was just quite the little performer, at least in my bedroom. I I thought I was a, a star, but, you know, in the midst of all that, there was, you know, my mother's husband who was very controlling, very possessive of my mother. I could see her always submitting to him, and she never stood up for herself or for me, as the case was. So he would push the boundaries a lot, you know, definitely started with verbal abuse, you know, telling me things like, I shouldn't have to pay for you. You're not my child. I shouldn't have to, you know, take care of you. You know, he would tell me things about, you know, making me feel bad about, you know, what I ate, what I did, what I said. I was never good enough. I was incompetent. I was stupid. I was all these things. And I would go to my mother and she would just turn her head or she would say, oh, he never said, he didn't mean that. Or he just loves you so much that he's just concerned, which kind of told me, I internalized this idea that, oh, so if somebody loves me, they're going to mistreat me. Yet it felt wrong. It absolutely Mm -hmm. felt wrong. And I was a feisty little one and I stood up for myself. But the more I spoke up for myself and even my mother, 
the more physical it became. You know, it would start with things like gripping me too tightly while he was threatening me not to speak up against him. And then, you know, by the time I was a teenager and almost out of the house, we got to the point where I was being hit and slapped and strangled and going to school Mm. with bruises and marks on my body that shouldn't be where they were and where the nurse would have to mark um, in my record. You know, I'd have to show her everywhere on my body that I was hurt because they didn't want me in class sometimes. So it was really hard to go through all that. And I definitely feel like I started losing a sense of who I was. I was trying to hold on to that you know, very happy, very, I, I I was sort of a free spirit back then. I just was so open to, to the world. I wanted to meet people and have experiences and try things. I think we all have some element of that, but um, definitely growing up near the city of Chicago fed into it because there's so much that the city offers and so many different ethnicities and cultures and all the festivals. It was just so amazing to me. So I thought I was going to become a journalist and travel the world. And, you know, I had played a few instruments and was in orchestras. And I even thought about joining the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And how amazing would that be to travel with that group and play music for the rest of my life? But everything I wanted was diminished and squashed because, you know, my stepfather said, that's not a real career. Um, You know, you have to go to a university, you have to study something real, you have to be something different. Basically, he was trying to mold me and my mother into who he wanted us to be, not who we actually were. My mother wanted to do that, still does to this day. Um, And that's fine for her, but that's not what I wanted for myself. So going out into the world, I unfortunately fell for a young man who very much reminded me of my stepfather. I didn't even like him, but I was so starving for love and affection and just some positive regard by anybody because I had such a low self-esteem and a low self-worth. I was trying to validate myself, but through other people. So without knowing, Mm -hmm. again, I was too young to know what codependent meant or what a people pleaser was, but I was absolutely a people pleaser. I was that puppy that was like, I'll give you my paw, I'll roll over, I'll do whatever trick you want me to do. Just give me a little something. Give me a little treat of love. Give me a little attention. And so that's how I fell for this young man who ended up unfortunately being the subject of my book because it was a roller coaster, that that relationship and then the marriage. And we had a child who then entered into the situation. And the more time went on, the more I think I realized that this wasn't what I ever had wanted. And it was kind of like, yeah, but I'm in it and I got myself in it. So I'm trying to make it better. But at the same time, I don't want to be here and I'm miserable. And here again, I was with a man who was trying to stifle everything about me, every every talent, every dream, every wish, even down to what I said. He would ask me a question and immediately follow it and say, you are supposed to answer. Da, 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 da. So it was like my life was being dictated to me again. And it just, I think we don't realize when we feel discomfort or we feel sadness, all of these things, 
you know, our, our society wants to label us. You have depression, you have anxiety, you have, you know, and here's a pill to make you happy and, and everything will be okay. But it's not. What that unrest is within you is that you're not living your authentic life. And it took me, you know, 25 years with this man and actually even getting sick because of living in this highly stressful situation to finally realize that, you know what, I actually have it in me. I am able to be whoever I want. I was the one that relinquished control over my life to this other person. I mean, when I was a child, I couldn't just walk out. And certainly with my ex, there was domestic violence. So it wasn't that I could just walk out of that as easily either, nor would I without my son. But at this point, at the end of our 25-year relationship, our son was just finishing up high school. I I was just, I, I had to be done to save myself physically, mentally, and all around. And the amazing thing was, was that when I did finally divorce him and moved on with my life, it, it was just, you know, I'll never forget this day. I don't even remember what I was doing. And my son said, you don't have to do that anymore. He's not here. We don't have to follow his rules. And I was so bound. I, I had bound myself to living according to these rules and restrictions that my ex had set for us that I'd forgotten like, oh, I have a brain. I have an opinion that matters. And now I can do for myself. I'm 40 some years old. I can have what I want for dinner. I can read a book that I want to read. I can listen to whatever music I want to listen to and wear what I want to wear. These were all things he controlled. So it was amazing then to have the world kind of reopen to me and, and to who I really was meant to be all along. Because now I have a, that sense of self. I know who I am because I was always in there. I just let somebody diminish that person and subdue that in deference to them. Mm. And and I mean, and, and to your credit, you were raised by that similar type of person. So in my view, it's like, and I'm not the psychologist, but you you definitely were going back to like what felt comfortable. Exactly. But, but for what it sounds, your awakening had started much earlier. Like you were already starting to awaken uh, as a younger girl, but then fell, unfortunately fell for the same type of behavior. But, you know, it's fascinating to hear just a journey of how you were conscious and yet were going through it. Yeah, it because it very much was. I mean, like I said, I think we all have that, you know, we call it a gut feeling or my great grandma used to put it nicely and say it was my guardian angel whispering in my ear. But you know what feels right and what doesn't. And I think when something crosses a line with you or goes against who you are, you do feel that discomfort. But mm. yes, unfortunately, we stay true to what we, you know, the unknown is scary. So we tend to fall into familiar situations. That's why so many people, you know, they'll say, oh, I keep falling for the same guy, or there's cycles, there's generational cycles of abuse, or, mm -hmm. you know, people have patterns in their life. But it's not until you break that pattern, which is uncomfortable in itself, but it's only because of the fear of, wow, what might happen if I didn't do that anymore? And, and, and fear is scary for anybody. 
But, Mm -hmm. you know, the amazing thing and, and what I always challenge people with is just this one question that I asked myself. It was when I got sick. It was at the end of my marriage. And, you know, I just remember laying down, I was sleeping in the basement at that point because I I had not slept with my ex-husband for many years um, at the end of our marriage. And I just asked myself, what do I want? Because nobody ever asked me that. I was always told what mm-hmm. I what I was going to do and say and, and be and everything else. And the thing was, was that it was so easy to answer that question. I'd gone to school and had a degree in journalism. I'd studied psychology. I'd known even as a 11, 12 years old, that I I had always wanted to do something to help other victims of abuse. I didn't want kids to grow up in a house like I did. I wanted to help them. And I had, I, I, like I said, I had wanted to see the world. I could watch it on YouTube and see pictures, but I wanted to experience it, you know, and, and I, I just, I wanted to be married too. just, I wanted to be married to somebody who even liked me. And I was married to somebody who told me all the time that he couldn't stand me. So, you know, it was just simple things. I didn't think like I was asking for much, but, you know, once he was out of the picture and I was able to stand on my own two feet and say, okay, you know, let's start with, I'm able to choose what I want to wear today and I'm able to decide what I want to do for work and I'm able to make my own decisions with everything. I thought, you know what, I'm going to start writing again. I'm going to start thinking about where, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go? If I, if I start traveling, I didn't even want to travel that far to begin with. I just wanted to see some family in Florida, which is a two hour (laughs) flight Mm -hmm. from Chicago. It's not even that far. I wasn't asking for much, but I, I realized that in saying, what do I want? I was almost giving myself permission just to entertain the idea of indulging myself, except it shouldn't be indulging when it's just who you are and and what your nature is and what your soul is telling you it needs to feel fulfilled. So Mm -hmm. I'm happy to say that it's only been three years and a few months since my divorce. I was looking over at my calendar here, (laughs) make sure we're in the right year. But it's amazing in that three years since I've been out, you know, my ex-husband had me, he had moved me 90 miles out of the city, far from friends and family because I couldn't be influenced. My college degree meant nothing in this podunk town that we live in. So he had me cleaning houses with his friend's wife. Um, And that's fine. You know, I did a really good job and I was reliable and trustworthy, which in our area, I guess, is hard to, to come by in people. So I'm glad that I could provide that, you know, service for especially the seniors that I came to know and love through that. But, you know, I I started writing and it's amazing. I'm writing now. I have already published a book just three years out of my marriage and I have two more that are already written and in the process of being published next year. And I've basically transitioned into being a full-time writer um, and also podcasting. And I've spoken in a summit for healing. And it's just amazing to me that I could have just as easily stayed in that house and stayed in that marriage and been still scrubbing toilets and nobody would have cared about anything I had to say or anything I had written. And that would have just been my life. And, and what a shame it it would have been. 
you know, because, mm-hmm. and I'm remarried now too. I never thought I would get married that's, again. <laughs> that's good. That's it. I love it how you say, oh, and by the way, I remarry again. And, yeah. And, well, and, I, and it sounds like he's treating you right. <laughs> he is. And I've known him a long time. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be married to him. And I've known his family probably 10 years before I even knew him. So I knew he came from, you know, good people. But it is, it's a wonderful thing to be married to somebody. It sounds silly to say that, but to be married to somebody who likes me and who smiles at me. And yes, he does treat me like a human being. He treats me with respect and courtesy and kindness. And even when I'm not in the best mood or I'm irritable at my very worst, he'll say, yeah, I don't like you much today, but I still (laughs) love you, you know? And it's a lesson that I needed to learn because I always thought that any deficiency, including if I didn't feel well, or if I, you know, I didn't get enough sleep and I was a little crabby, it, there was something wrong with me. I had always been from the time I was a child, I wasn't good enough. And something was always wrong with me. It was never anybody else, but Mm -hmm. it, it took writing the books. I think it was healing in itself. And I did some writing therapy for some of my anxiety and CPTSD and all that stuff. But writing the books was very healing because looking back on things and having to really go into deeper thought about everything that I felt and saw and experienced just really helped me see things from a little bit different of a perspective, especially now that I'm out of those situations. You know, I learned things about the other people. I learned things about myself. But the main thing that I realized that I'd never, ever realized before was that all that shame and all that resentment and all that stuff that was causing me so much misery, it was everybody else's unhealed trauma. Mm -hmm. And they weren't willing to face it, so they would project it on me. And so I was carrying my mother's issues. I was carrying her husband's issues because they both had very traumatic childhoods and and they were both abused. You know, my ex, I'm not sure what his problem was because I thought he came out of, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver's house from Leave It to Beaver. It was like the perfect family. But obviously there were some things underlying the facade, um, but definitely unhealed trauma from him. And once I realized, wait a second, it's not me. There's nothing wrong with me. It was that I was burdening myself. I had taken the burden of all their pain and I carried it for so long. So I just said, I'm letting it go. I mean, it's hard to let it go because you still feel it physically and mentally and you can't just erase all that. But once I decided that it's not me, I am not like people say I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm I'm not broken and I'm not damaged. I've got some issues, (laughs) Mm -hmm. certainly a lot of us do, but it wasn't because there was ever anything wrong with me. And there's still not. It's because other people didn't know how to deal with their own emotions about their own traumas in their life. So Mm -hmm. realizing that kind of changed my perspective about myself. It helped me develop a little more self-esteem and a little more self-confidence. And then combined with surrounding myself with the right people, not people that were going to diminish and and degrade me and humiliate and and all these negative things that I had been around for 40 some years. I'm now around people who are positive and encouraging and uplifting 
they will still call me out and say, eh, that's not who you are, or maybe don't do that, or be careful, you know, whatever it is. They're not, you know, kissing my butt, so to speak, but they are at least creating a a positive narrative around me, which is helping me develop that within myself. Because I think our self-talk is so affected, so heavily affected by the people that we're with more of the time than not. Even if we, you know, I can say my ex-husband this and that, and it was awful and miserable, but I was still hearing and getting the nonverbal cues that that matched the things he was saying that made me feel all those things that he felt about me. But now that I'm not around him and I'm around people who do like me and see value in me and see, you know, positive qualities about me, I'm starting to realize them about myself. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important for people to get in the right headspace as far as how they feel about themselves before they get into this healing stuff, because the healing is nasty and awful. It's not this magical thing that you wake up one day and your fairy godmother has sprinkled magic dust on you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I am happy now. Everything's just okay. Doesn't work that way. I wish it did. (laughs) If anyone knows how to do that, let me know. (laughs) Well, but that, you know, certainly with the book you wrote, you definitely are trying to sprinkle a little bit of that magic because I, I would believe that you went through 25 years of these horrible experience. You had had your years with it, you know, at home when you were a child. But, you know, I'm sure that when you were writing the book, you were thinking if there's something in the lines of if I can avoid somebody to go through 25 years. And I know you talk a lot, a lot about the pull and the push, because certainly I'm yes. sure that a lot of things were red flags, but somehow people stay and somehow people know that there's something doesn't feel right. But I'm sure we, you know, we try to justify. So what would be your like if you're talking to somebody and you see some of those red flags of things you you went through? Um, what do you think should people be looking for or questioning or trying to push themselves in, in a specific relationship to try to get unstuck? Because it sounds to me like it's a it's a toxic behavior that it's the cycle that's very difficult to break. It's an awful cycle to break. And, and everything you said, I 100% agree with. I think the biggest thing to look out for is control. Because when somebody has to control you to feel powerful and, and to feel like they they can dominate you, they are their intention is to minimize you to where they control. I mean, the the control starts with little things and it develops into the big things until you just don't even know who you are anymore. And I think it's a terrible thing to lose yourself, especially when there are people who would value you exactly who you are and think you're the best thing ever exactly who you are. How you get unstuck, I think, is just really thinking about you know, what you want in life. There are, unfortunately, I mean, it's sad to think it, but like my mother is a perfect example. She has chosen to to remain in that life. She is perfectly fine and perfectly happy 
I don't know if I'd say happy, but she is uh, living her life under that control because in her mind, she doesn't, she likes her house and her car and her things, and she doesn't mind the price that she has to pay for it. But for other people to get unstuck, I think it's just really listening, listening to your body and listening to that, that gut feeling. I always go back to that because if something does not feel right, that's a big sign. I mean, there's no bigger red flag than that. And I think it comes back to control. You know, for me, I should have known very early on by a million things. But like one thing was I I was born and raised Catholic. I, I went to a Catholic university. I was going to church by myself by the time I was in college. But it would start with, oh, just lay in bed with me this Sunday morning. Let's just hang out and chill and and don't go to church today. But then it was, don't go to church, don't go to church. Well, why do you have to go to church? You see what I mean? It's it, it's it's done so insidiously that then when I started going to church again, it's, oh, do you love God more than you love me? You know, starting with the guilt and, okay, well, yeah, shouldn't I? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, this is a good thing, me going to church. It's, you know, keeping me grounded and all these wonderful things. But then it would lead into other, you know, conversations down the road about, oh, you spend more time at church than you do with me. You never spend time with me. It's all this stuff to make you feel guilty. So you don't do because they don't want you to be influenced. So just watch the control. If Mm. somebody is trying to control who you see, not wanting you to see family and friends and not wanting you to go out with anybody, not even wanting you to go to church. And that, you know, again, it can be done in ways that don't seem aggressive or hostile in any way. But over time, if something does not feel right, Hmm. probably is not. That's great advice and great perspective because, and that's something maybe I should have started there because, you know, I think we use all these terms about narcissistic behavior, gaslighting, like there are so many terms these days. Like, I would love to hear from you. I should have started there, but (laughs) your definition, even on the things that maybe people, yeah, the control, I think it's one that we all can, like, that's the ultimate, right? Like when somebody really is trying to change who you are at the core, but I would love to hear your definition in a nutshell of a narcissistic person? Nutshell is anybody who needs to fulfill their ego to the extent that they feel superior over others. And I'm saying it very simply because not all narcissists are bad. The ones I have dealt with are not the nice ones. (laughs) But there are some people that have narcissistic qualities that are not narcissists. There are even narcissists that, I I mean, I know a few that I love very much and they look as fabulous as they think they do. So you just can't argue with it (laughs) where it just comes off as really healthy self-esteem. But the ones that I deal with, unfortunately, are these malignant narcissists, which are the ones that they are so desperate to feel superior and exalted. They need constant praise and admiration, but they're willing to hurt and abuse another human being in order to get that. And that's where the line would be crossed. Because even after everything I've been through, 
Could I be with a narcissist? If you want to put a label on somebody, yeah, I'm sure there's a lovely narcissist that I would have no problem being with because he wouldn't be abusing me or hurting me to feel, you know, I mean, that's why you see people take their selfies and flat, drive around in their flashy cars and they, you know, make sure they always wear nice clothes. That wouldn't bother me. What bothers me is when somebody is verbally abusing me, physically abusing me, financially and legally um, restricting me or or causing me harm. Like you said, the gaslighting, the manipulation, when they're trying to use manipulative tactics to control you so they feel good about themselves, that's when you have the problem. And to me, it sounds almost, and again, I'm not a psychologist, but it's almost the uh... The fear base, like the ones that trying to to show you that they're so good and so much that's it's all in my way in my thought coming from fear and what you would oh, call yeah. like better like what you describe maybe as a good narcissist like a healthy self esteem. <laughs> you have the others, you know, that say you know, but I know who, how much I am worth, and so they can right. come across like that. But the ones that really are afraid of losing everything. I mean, your ex has a beautiful wife, beautiful, you know, and they say, maybe she discovers who I am really, and she's going to leave me. And now they have to use all these tactics and, and bad things to, to retain you. And you hit the nail on the head. There's usually a deep seated insecurity within them that they usually don't even like themselves. So they need to fill that ego with this other stuff. And, and, and that makes them somehow feel better. And a lot of it is the admiration and praise. You know, they want a lot of thank yous and you're the best and you're wonderful to the point that they even go out. People will think they're generous and charitable. They will do anything for anybody because they want that that praise. They want to feel they want other people to think they're good. And that's part of why they <laughs> when they're abusing somebody at home you know, you don't dare expose them because they are so concerned with how other people perceive them that they cannot risk you telling anybody what's really going on in the house. And so that's why they will gaslight you. I never said that. I never did that. They'll even offer you a different version of that twisting reality for you. So you're thinking, gee, maybe I did perceive that differently. Maybe I did misunderstand that, but that's actually how my book started because I was being gaslighted, not just by my ex, by my mother, by my stepfather. And I'm thinking if the three primary people in my life are completely negating my reality, <laughs> I must be the most delusional person in the world. I need to be locked up and medicated. I mean, no joke. I worried because I, I try to be self-aware. So I worried like... Am I really seeing things in that skewed of a light? Like I would get excited when somebody would witness <laughs> something mm -hmm. that happened or I would say, did you see that? Did you hear that? Did I take it the wrong way? And they'd be like, no, that's that's wrong. That's awful. So I started keeping a notebook when I didn't have witnesses of the things that were being said to me, told to me, whatever happened, just so I had a very clear record right away of exactly what was. And it was once I got out and I realized that there were so many other people 
going through this. I had no idea. I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one that ever experienced this. And then this whole world opened up to me of narcissism. And I thought, oh my gosh. So I started elaborating on my stories when I decided I wanted to start writing again. I elaborated on my stories and then it just turned into a book. And I thought, well, let's see about publishing this because I think if I had had something to read like that or an audiobook or whatever it was, to know that somebody else had been through the same thing, maybe it would have helped me have a better understanding of it sooner. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten sick. Maybe, you know, all these things. So I just thought, you know, even if it helps one person get out of their situation, even if they decide to stay in their situation, at least if it gives them a clearer idea of what they're dealing with, then my work is done. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's why I wrote it and why I turned the notebook into that. But it has been fortunately very helpful to a lot of people. I've had, I, I get messages every day on social media from people saying that, you know, they're working on it, they're getting out or they did leave. And, you know, I'm not sitting here saying everybody should leave their relationship. I mean, certainly I want everybody to be safe and sometimes it's safer to stay for a little bit. But I definitely want people to at least be aware of what their situation really is. Um, because I don't want anyone to ever feel that they are not enough or that they're not good enough or that they're really to blame for everything Um, because there's so many ideas we get about ourselves when we're in these situations with people. Mm, That's very powerful. And you know, when as as I hear you speak and I say, well, there's a few people here that I worry about. A, the narcissist itself, because Mm -hmm. yeah, you move on and thank God you move on, but unless he... And I mean, your ex uh, has worked through his issues. He's creating issues for somebody else out there, uh, yep. most likely. And and because it's almost like this is unless these people don't deal on with their own things and try to heal. And I'm sure, I mean, you're a psychologist, but like, who can they really be healed? Working, you know, with a with a therapist. Yeah. Or, There's a debate on that. Um, My personal opinion, and it is just my opinion, um, I do not believe they can be rehabilitated because to to heal from anything, to change your behavior, you have to acknowledge that behavior first. And these narcissists cannot, they do not have the capacity to think that they are accountable for anything. You know, they almost live in a permanent sense of victimhood. The way that they are, everything that happens is being done to them. They have never done anything to you. They have never done anything wrong to anybody. They cannot deal with being imperfect. Yet we're all imperfect, aren't we? I mean, Mm -hmm. we all have weaknesses and strengths, and that's what makes the world go round. But a narcissist, a true narcissist, has one, no capability of understanding that there's something wrong with them and they have no remorse for what they do. So without those two things, I don't see them even getting to the point to where they go to therapy. Usually when you end up in therapy with a narcissist, it's like in marriage counseling or some kind of couples counseling, and their intention is to make the therapist believe there's something wrong with you. You know, and mm-hmm. I've I've been there, done that, and it's not fun. And once the therapist sees them for who they really are and, and makes them confront that, they're done with therapy. 
So they're not going to be in any situation where they get a diagnosis like that unless there's something in it for them. They are not going to try to heal anything. And and unfortunately, there's a lot of them out there. I think the last statistic was that a half percent of our population um, are narcissists and that one in every 200 here in the U.S. are these malignant narcissists that are abusive. Um, And they even say that over 20 percent of domestic violence situations are at the hands of male narcissists. So a lot of scary numbers there. It's definitely something that's prevalent. There are. And so, well, if we've established that it's very unlikely and it's unfortunate, it makes me sad that that it's going to be very hard that they're rehabilitated, that the next step is for anybody out there that it's potential in that situation not only for themselves, but for the younger kids, because the yes. how we how we create these even scarier statistics is if we allow the young children, you know, to be exposed to this kind of behavior and to normalize it through their childhood, kind of what yes. happened to you, because then it's it's just we are it's just we are creating this pipeline of uh, individuals that are going to create a lot of more domestic violence and and a lot of more unhappy people on on earth. It's exactly true. I mean, let's look at school bullying with kids. Those kids usually, at least my experiences, they're usually little narcissists and they learn it at home. You know, they're either seeing the behavior in one of their parents or The other way that they say narcissists are created, and I think this applies to my ex-husband, is when they feel, like in in his situation, he felt secondary to his sibling, and he felt less than. So that insecurity, that low self-esteem kind of went the, the way opposite direction of needing to attain that through other people. So he's looking for self-validation, some of these narcissists, by overpowering and controlling and dominating situations so that they they receive that admiration and praise that they didn't get when they were children. But when you look at school bullies, you know, these are kids that think the rules don't apply to them and they are trying to overpower other little kids, you know, so that they feel powerful, so that they feel in control. And, and it's very sad that, you know, no matter what label you put on it, wrong is wrong and abuse is abuse. Mm, I, I think that's so important. And really, I commend your courage to, you know, share your story because that's what we need. We need to share these stories to to make it, you know, that if we can put it in their minds of one person that it's maybe going through a similar yes. situation and they go and, and buy your book and which will be in my show notes, Gasping for Air, and uh, and just see if they recognize any of these, because I'm sure you are validating, and you know, and with the statistics, and you know, and and also the data that these are really things that are happening on a daily basis, and yes. and and we need to be courageous and get out of bad situations. So, then I always ask about things that maybe you're working on or that we haven't. I mean, I can obviously this is a while well, sad subject is a fascinating subject because it's not talked 
enough, I believe. And so is there anything that you're working on besides you tell us about your new two books or anything else that you want to yes, highlight for the audience? Absolutely. The next two books that will be coming out next year, um, I have the prequel to Gasping for Air, which talks about growing up and being in that household with a narcissist and, and the different ways that that shaped who I was and how I thought about myself and even had an eating disorder for many years and all these things. Um, but I think a lot of people can relate to that if they've been in an adult relationship with a narcissist. They usually had some kind of abuse in their childhood. And then the sequel to Gasping for Air, that's the second book that I'm working on. That one, it kind of delves into a different area. It talks about my remarrying and and some of the little hiccups that we had because it's definitely a different situation. I'm not going to stand here and lie and say, I'm healed. Everything's wonderful. Um, certainly, I bring a unique set of challenges <laughs> into <laughs> even the healthiest of relationships. But I think it's something that people need to see that it can work out because so many people come out of abusive relationships or marriages with their guard up and they think, oh, I'm just never going to date again. I'm never going to marry. I, I'm not worthy of love. I don't want to be in a loving. But I think that you can heal faster if you take all these things you learn about yourself and all these tools you learn in therapy. And I hate to use the word practice, but you need to be in certain situations and interactions to actually practice using those tools so that you can overcome, you know, the triggers and the the feelings of inadequacy and all these different things that affect your relationships in life. So, you know, it, it's just another book to to say, hey, I'm not perfect either, but I was able to be married and it's actually working really well this time, but I'm still also healing through all this stuff and it's a journey and it'll never end, but it's it's still okay. It's actually better than okay. It's pretty great. Well, I definitely think you have aligned, you know, your life's mission with your experience. Everything happens for a reason, unfortunately, yes. but there's no way that your testimony and, and all this that you're putting in the world would be as valuable as it is right? from somebody that hasn't been on that on those shoes. So I exactly. think that as unfortunate as it is, it's just give it more powerful. And uh, and you have a web page, which is DanaSDS.com. It will be on the show notes for anybody Perfect. that wants to check it out. And, uh, you know, my last question on every, every episode is about what makes us tick. So I wonder, you know, in your darkest <laughs> moments when you're like, oh, my God, I went through so much and you want to find that joy, that spark, that that happiness in life? Where do, What do you do? What do you go? Do you have any practice? You know what? I love walking. Sometimes I just need to walk away, whether it's from these dark things I'm writing about or a bad situation or just sometimes like the holidays are really hard for us with all this family stuff and, and these this toxic stuff we have to be around. I just take a breather. I walk and I let, you know, right now it's cold in Chicago. So you let the cold air go in your lungs and you just breathe and, and you know, listen to the birds, look at the trees. If you're in hopefully in a lovely place, look at the water, be on a beach, but just remember who you are and just breathe because sometimes 
We just need a little break. We get so hard and we put all this pressure on ourselves to be and to do. And sometimes it's just good to walk away for a minute. Mm, powerful. I have to say uh, later in life, now I turn 50 this year, I have found the joy in walking. I have to say yeah. walking and listening to a podcast that inspires yes. me. It's like almost like a must. I cannot do and and walking for me is at night. I find the night like there's something yes. there. Like the, the, there's so whatever it is that you all find that helps you connect. This is what this podcast is about. I hope that everything that you heard today has inspired you. You have an incredible journey, Dana, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, until the next episode of Back to Basics, reconnecting to the essence of you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.